Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, round two. We tried this yesterday <laughs> and uh, it didn't work out quite so well. So it's good to see you again two days in a row. Uh, definitely good to see you. And I know you were just fresh back from the SBC convention and a lot going on out there. A lot of um, events. Um, it's all over Twitter. A lot of people talking about it. Um, so definitely, I think uh, for folks who are listening, um, they, they would be very curious to hear what some of your impressions were and, and takeaways uh, from from what happened there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess let's preface the conversation for those guys who uh, aren't in the SBC and might be thinking, well, you know, what, who really cares what happens in the SBC? Uh, it's a valid question. But uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is uh, the largest conglomerate of cooperating churches in the Western world. Um, when you look at the seminaries, they train more pastors than any other seminaries uh, in the country. They send more missionaries overseas. They plant more churches uh, in North America through NAM, uh, missionaries through the IMB. And so when you look at what's happening within the Southern Baptist world, uh, there's so many churches involved. You can kind of put your finger at least in part on what's going on in Western Christianity, because it has quite a large impact. Yeah, the SBC, just from my perspective, um, and I'm not part of the SBC, we are a Baptist church, we're part of another kind of a grouping of, of churches called the GARBC, but the, um, the, the SBC, the issues that we see there, I think are uh, really kind of a a microcosm of what's going on with um, evangelicalism overall. I mean, we've got some very faithful brethren, people who are, um, you know, very bold in defending the truth. And we've got some people that are trying to take it into a different direction. And we've got some struggles with uh, female teachers and our positions on critical race theory. And that was one of the big things um, going into this convention was Resolution 9 going to be repealed, right? So, yeah, um, no, yeah. I agree with you. Even, even if you're not part of SBC, I think the events of SBC are of interest because they really are a reflection of the struggles that are going uh, going on elsewhere, and especially with a group that has traditionally been looked at as a conservative um, conservative group. And I hate to use word words like conservative and liberal because it kind of brings um, politics. It, it makes people think of politics, but by conservative, I mean people that really believe um, fundamentally what the Bible says and wants to um, stand firm on that, whereas others um, want to um, maybe take some liberties with it. Yeah. Yeah. And in in the Christian world, conservative just means biblical and liberal uh, just means non-biblical, non-biblical, pretty much. (laughs) There's no other way to get around that. Yeah. yeah, I know some guys are like, wait a minute, Nathaniel, are you SBC? Are you not SBC? Uh, We don't know what's going on here. Um, Yeah. So and I haven't really made uh, any public statements, but our sending church is an SBC church, um, small Baptist church in Tennessee. Wonderful, lovely guys fighting for truth. Um, and so with uh, we were originally going through the NAM process and that, you know, took a dive. Um, and I think where where I am after the convention. So I went as a messenger with our sending church um, where I am after the convention is that, uh, yeah, I, I think as a church uh, who's planning here in Alaska, we will probably stay. Uh, in the SBC. And and I have a reason for that. The, the reason is the SBC, in, and, and I think this is an issue of conscience for pastors, right? Uh, the SBC is structured in such a way where you can do things um, to remain in the SBC that does not require you give up integrity. Um, lots of wonderful guys, uh, Tom Askell, Tom Buck, Josh Bice, I think he's still in the SBC, Saul Virgil Walker there, um, it, you know, these are guys who aren't sacrificing integrity. They're standing for the truth. Um, and so we want to join that battle because if we just simply hand over the SBC to the theologically liberal, then then guess what? Then we're, they'll be the biggest agency sending liberal missionaries overseas and planting liberal churches in the U.S. and, uh, yeah. you know, turning out liberal pastors in the seminaries. That would be eventually where it went if everyone just jumps ship. Um, that's a call every individual church has to make. Um, we, we don't judge guys if, if they leave. Totally understand that. Uh, if guys want to stay and fight, I think that's a good thing. 
Um, but that, so that's where we are. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about what happened at the, at the, at the convention. Um, you know, originally we were going to kind of couch this thing around talking about integrity. And that, that's a big thing in the convention. You guys who say one thing. And then do another. We saw a bunch of that in the resolutions. Um, and, uh, it, you know, we talked about uh, there were more messengers gathered at this SBC than there has been since, I think, 1995 is what I wrote. So there were, I don't know, 15 or 16,000 messengers who wow. uh, were registered for this convention. And a lot of guys came centered around critical race theory. Um, that's, that's how big of a thing it has been in the church. So basically what happened, uh, in Twitter and the media, social media world is blown up over all this the last few days, right? I know guys are thinking, yeah. goodness, I'm going to get back on once all the SBC stuff <laughs> blows over. Um, but Tom Askell put forward a resolution, uh, to rescind resolution nine. And ultimately it was ruled out of order, um, which he expected that may happen. But that's really big for where where the SBC is in terms of a, a big battle we have right now. Critical race theory really becomes the battle of sufficiency for scripture uh, because and, and we've done, done a whole podcast on this. I know you you've um, taught on it. I've taught on it. We, we've read tons of stuff and, and know what we're talking about on this critical race theory um you know basically attacks us it well it does it attacks the sufficiency of scripture by undermining the work of the cross we see that predominantly in the area of reconciliation um it, you know critical race theory puts people in two groups the oppressed and the oppressor and your sins are not based on what you've done but are but are based on what others have done in the past and there can be no genuine repentance for that um there is a continual and perpetual need to make restitution and for the oppressed side um, it doesn't demand forgiveness for any real sins that might have happened uh, right. and so it's just antithetical to the gospel all around yeah and as an example here in california they um, they passed a reparations bill and as one person put it basically in a state that never had slavery uh, money is being given to people who are never slaves, and it's being taken from people who are never slave owners, and and that's that's what we're dealing with with uh, critical race theory. It's not to deny that oppression exists because we would say it does exist in various uh, various capacities and various places. Um, oppression is real. There are real oppressors in the world. There are real people who are being oppressed. But I think the problem with critical race theory is that it makes that assumption based upon skin color. Um, yeah. That um, automatically uh, and. And one easy example, and, and something I had to mention to someone else, is that, look, you know, when you hear about a shooting, for example, if the shooter was white and the one who was shot was black, there is an automatic narrative that is assumed mm -hmm. that is different than if the shooter were black and the victim were white, right, um, or Asian, for that matter. And uh, me being Asian, I know there's a lot of violence against Asians, especially in San Francisco and New York. And, you know, those those are just not getting a whole lot of attention. Um, so it's um, it's really being selective and, and it's really targeted in terms of who you're going after. So critical race theory, there, there's nothing just about it at all, even though we um, we often um, it's often tied together with what's called social justice. So social justice, to put it this way, it's not biblical justice. Social justice um, takes a different worldview, a different view of man. And um, as you mentioned, it, it really um, undermines the work of the cross because we as Christians, once we have been saved, we understand that we're part of the, we're, we're part of the household of God and we are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ now. You know, and, and to really go to the lengths that a lot of people who fight for critical race theory go to, it's it's unbiblical, you know, to, to go to the government and to start pushing for government measures and, and to, you know, really uh, targeting uh, groups of people, not based upon anything that they've done, but just simply based upon the group that they identify with. You know, so all of this is, um, it's totally unbiblical. What we know is that there is one race, the human race, and we know that we are all depraved. We're all in need of a savior and that savior is Jesus Christ. And because we have that salvation, our focus is not here in this world, which is also another problem with critical race theory, because they're often focused upon the matters of this world. Our hope is ultimately in the next world. Now, that's not 
meant to excuse abuses here in this world, but it is meant to give us hope. It is meant to say that no matter what trials or afflictions or persecutions or difficulties that come in this world, if, um, if we have to endure them, we know that there is something better at the end of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and so one of the things I think, I, so this was my first time at an SBC convention. And so I don't know all the inner workings. I'm still, you know, figuring out and learning how people bring motions and resolutions and things like that. But it was interesting because what happened after Tom Askell uh, brought up his resolution to rescind um, resolution nine, which was the, the the resolution on using critical race theory as analytical tools, helpful analytical tools. Um, there were a, a couple guys afterwards who brought resolutions to the floor um, and and I, I can't help but to think they were done so mockingly because they were resolutions that were trying to rescind things from like, you know, the 1800s um, on on slavery and on. And there were two separate guys that did that. And I, I didn't really piece put the pieces together until afterwards. And I, it, because what happened was um, the next day when they uh, when when J.D. Greer ruled. Um, Tom Askell's resolution out of order, he lumped all those together, right? And so you already kind of, they were already presented as a ridiculous um, move because you've got these other two guys that are like, well, while we're rescinding past resolutions, why don't we rescind these from the 1800s and the early 1900s? And so everyone kind of had in mind, I think lots of people had in mind, well, that that's ridiculous. Why are we trying to rescind stuff yeah. from? So when they moved it uh, out of order, they basically kind of couched it in um, well, look, uh, these are past resolutions. We're, we're ruling these out of order. Um, wow. And I and I can't help but to believe now, I don't know, um, but it seemed set up to me. Um, I thought it was very clear that the, S the leaders in the SBC are, you know, effectively trying to silence the messengers who are stepping up and stepping out against uh, critical race theory and these really godless worldly ideologies um, I mean, there was a resolution that um, they neglected to bring to the floor, the executive committee, over 1300 messengers got together and signed a resolution to deal with these things. And they just refused yeah. to deal with it. And so it didn't even come up. Uh, they just suppressed it. And so that's what we're seeing uh, in, in the high end leadership in the SBC. And I think let me say this, because I, I was thinking even since uh, yesterday when we tried to do this recording, um, uh, about the dynamics in play. And, and I think that you have um, some li liberal and liberal leaning um, guys in leadership who know very well what they're doing. Um, they're following, they're, they're, they're concerned with what the world thinks. They're following the world. There's issues of power and money. Um, and, but then when you get below that, you've got, I think, thousands and thousands of churches, small churches that pastor, you know, churches just like me. You, you, you have, you know, five, six, ten families, and they're so busy trying to pastor their people um, that they haven't really, and, and a lot of them are bivocational. They haven't had a lot of time to study out what critical race theory is. They're not following the news every day. They're not on Twitter. Um, and so they come and, and they don't really know what it is, but they're trusting the leadership to do what they're supposed to be doing. And so when the leadership says these are good analytical tools, uh, they ignorantly, but well-meaningly go with that. Now, that's mm -hmm. no excuse for it, but it's all to say that I don't think the majority of the churches um, would buy into critical race theory if they really knew and understood what it is. But there's a lot of deception and things happening, a lot of lack of integrity, I think, at, at the leadership level. And so, yeah, I, I think sometimes we, we've just become too trusting and, you know, we've got to start doing our own research on these things. You can't pastor a church. Um, and as the world changes and adopts these things, just ignore it, right? Because it's going to affect the people in your church. I mean, the schools are talking about critical race theory. Our government's yeah. talking about critical race theory. They're employing it uh, in almost every avenue of life right now. Um, you, can't even, you can't even eat an Oreo cookie these days without hearing about, you know, homosexuality or, or critical race theory. You're like, I, I just want to drink a Coke and eat a cookie. Don't, you know, um, kind of stuff. So that's sort of where we are and a bit of what we've seen, you know, this past uh, weekend at the SBC. 
You know, and I think what's disappointing, as you mentioned that, and, and they ruled it out of order, which uh, is their way of suppressing it. So it wasn't even really discussed, though I, I did see a number of quotes, right? So we saw and heard, uh, at least I read quotes that came out of the convention. Uh, and I think it was J.D. Greer who had quoted someone else as saying, Marxism is a thing, critical race theory is a thing, but you know what else is a thing? Um, being a jerk. Yeah. And, uh, and and that's that's a terrible way to approach or to really talk about an issue that, quite frankly, a lot of people are concerned about. I mean, you talk about the record numbers of people that had shown up the the most since what did you say 1995 or something like that. Yeah, that's you know, what so I read. We we had the most <clears throat> the most number of people that had shown up, and as you mentioned, they came to show up because they were concerned um, about the position that the SBC was taking with critical race theory. This was not a secret. Everyone knew this was a lightning rod topic that, yeah. that uh, from my point of view, being an outsider, that had to be addressed, regardless of what, where you end up landing. You, you could end up landing and saying, uh, saying, yeah, critical race theory indeed is a useful analytical tool. I would totally disagree, but you, you could ultimately land there, but at least have the discussion. Right. And so going into there, uh, everyone knew that there were a record number of people showing up for that reason. Everyone knew when they were voting, whether they're voting for Ed Litton or Mike Stone or Al Mohler or, or whoever else have you, the, the, the vote, um, I think a lot of the vote, a lot of the impetus behind the vote really came down to where they stood on the issue of critical race theory. Um, but that was another yeah. disappointment as well. I, I heard more than one person um, state that, you know, it just seems like there are just political kind of um, tactics being used to to kind of smear other people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I know Mike Stone um, had some sort of confrontation with a woman that ended up being presented in a way that uh, made him look bad, which, you know, look, if it happened or not, that's one thing. But here's the thing. It's like, who in their right mind would go to a public convention and, and willingly um, actually do the things that he is accused mm. of doing right there in the yeah, public? Yeah, yeah. You know, so so even even if let's say for a moment Mike Stone were that kind of person, which I don't believe he is. Everything I've heard about him has been top notch in terms of his character um, as a pastor and as a man of God. But but even if um, he he were not that kind of man, who in their right mind uh, would actually do something? That's stupid, right out in the public. Yeah, you know, exactly. So there was there was nothing about it that um, that made any sense, and and I think we talked a little bit about this yesterday. The the, the lady, her name is uh, Hannah Kate, I believe, and this is someone who earlier this month um, renounced the faith, and uh, and I think you had mentioned that there there were pastors that were saying, well, she left Christianity, but she didn't leave Christ, uh, which is a which is a staggering statement to make um, because uh, look. You know, either you're being disingenuous, and, and perhaps they are, they're being disingenuous, they know what they're saying, um, or they're being ignorant. But even if they're being ignorant, either way, to make that kind of statement where you are separating um, Christ from the fact that we are Christians um, is absolutely terrible because you are a Christian, you're in Christianity because of Christ. You don't say that, oh, they renounce Christianity, but they're, they're still with Christ. No, there, there's no distinction there. Yeah. Our faith is about Christ. And, and so you, you can't just say that I'm leaving the faith, but I'm still with Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, if that's your position, if you say things like that, no matter where you are, you shouldn't be a pastor. Right. Because either you're disingenuous on one side or you just lack the um, basic qualifications to being a pastor on the other, because that's a big deal. And yeah, so Mike Stone, that was interesting. I mean, I, obviously, I was there when all that happened. And, you know, they kind of cornered him. And uh, Mike Stone has witnesses of what went on. And, you know, basically, they tried to, you know, pull off the whole thing of, you know, how. Um, you know, he was just really mean to her and this kind of thing, which I, I don't believe happened. But in any case, you, you know, what upsets me is it, there, there was a, a resolution that was brought to the floor and there was a pastor. Um, I, I think he was a pastor who was standing with this lady, um, Hannah Kate. And so here we are. And, you know, I think she had had her hand on his shoulder, or whatever, and she was in tears while he was putting the motion forward and the motion or the resolution. And it had to do with abuse victims. I mean, first of all, I just don't know a whole bunch of pastors. In fact, I don't personally know any that are OK with any type of abuse in the church. Right. Um, and, and if the SBC is so filled with that kind of abuse, then it would be better if it's just disbanded. 
if that's really that big of an issue. But so here you are, you have this pastor who's using an unsaved woman, right? Um, who, whether she has or hasn't been abused, it really doesn't make any difference in this argument. Um, but he's using an unbeliever to push an agenda. I just, for a pastor to do something like that, to me is absolutely atrocious. We should be concerned about her salvation. We could be, we should primarily be concerned about her salvation, right? Um, it, if the sexual abuse happened, I don't know anything about her specific case. Um, maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. I don't know if she was. That's absolutely horrible and atrocious, and it should have gotten dealt with. Um, and, you know, the perpetrator needs to be dealt with, you know, in whatever ways the law allows for that. Um, all of that, we, we would agree with that. But for a pastor to use an unbeliever to promote his agenda in that way, um, I mean, that's, I, I can't think of. Uh, in my mind at the moment, a worse offense for a pastor to basically say, we're going to set your your issue of salvation aside so that I can use you to promote my agenda. That's pretty horrific. Yeah. And that's not what a shepherd does. Um, you know, the, the, the and the reason why, um, Nathaniel, I know you're emphasizing this is because shepherds shepherd the flock and we, we, we take care of those who are given to us as a part of the flock. Uh, one of the believers, uh, we are all sheep. Jesus Christ being our shepherd, but we are called to shepherd the flock to care for their souls. And we're not called to um, push, push agendas. Um, now, I understand that um, people from the other side can say, well, you guys are doing the same thing. Well, I, I would argue that what we're trying to do is we're trying to preserve um, biblical um, truth. We're trying to preserve what, what it is the Bible tells us. And to, instead to, um, to, to use people, and I, I also do not know Hannah Kate. I don't know anything about her background. Um, I, I mean, I do know from her conduct, um, if she were at my church, I'd be very concerned about her soul. Um, just just from her conduct alone, um, but uh, yeah, we, we we are trying to preserve truth. We are trying to um, trying to address what are the real issues, and and I think when people are um, talking about all the abuse that's going on in the church, I mean, they make it sound like it's um it's it's a widespread kind of thing. Now, is it out there? Absolutely, I'm sure it is, um, because uh, because there is corruption um, in in churches everywhere. There are people who are leaders that shouldn't be leaders. Um, there are places where um, the kinds of protections um, are are not being put in place when they absolutely should be. Um, but I, I don't see a trend of those kinds of churches just being allowed to, you know, operate uh, freely. In fact, I, I think we've seen quite a few pastors um, recently get disqualified for the opposite reason that um, that that it was discovered that they were acting inappropriately and yeah. they they were disqualified they they were sent out now some of those pastors have tried to come back in and shepherd again but we know who they are and uh, and we certainly do not endorse them so i i agree with you i don't i don't think that this is the issue that they're making out to be now i've said this before i because I, I don't want to downplay the um the potential of abuse um every church should be taking every measure they can practically take um, yeah. In order to protect the women and children of their church, you know, so at, at my church, um, that means uh, men are not allowed to be alone with children anywhere, mm -hmm. you know, that there are two adults in every place where children are being looked over, um, where for me personally, if um, if I'm counseling a woman, then I want to make sure that my wife or our church office manager is there as well, you know, as, as a third party, um, I, I don't allow myself to be alone in those kinds of situations. So there are steps that we have to take to make sure that we protect uh, those individuals. But but that being said, um, like I said, everyone was coming to the convention knowing that CRT was the big issue that they wanted to discuss. And for people, here's the other accusation. People will accuse us of saying, well, you guys are making a boogeyman out of CRT rather than focusing upon the gospel, right? That was one of the comments that, oh, well, if these people were as passionate about the gospel as they were right. uh, about CRT, then they would win the entire world over to Christ. Well, first of all, that's a disingenuous disingenuous uh, statement right um it's first of all we we know that not everyone's going to respond to christ even if you are proclaiming the gospel but the reason why we stand against crt as we mentioned it's because it taints the actual true gospel it distorts yeah. it, it twists it. it it provides a gospel that does not save and so the reason why we are standing against it um, is be, is exactly because of the sanctity of the gospel itself we want to be able to preserve that um, but yeah when people talk about um, the widespread abuse and whatnot 
you know, you know, sometimes it, it just looks like I'm just saying this to, to the outsider. It just looks like they are deflecting from the real issues um, by creating their own red herrings. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the perspective of, you know, a lot of guys within the SBC, too. And, it, you know, you can only see this so often before you just can really not come to any other reasonable conclusion. Right. Um, you know, and I think, you know, for you talked about CRT kind of being the boogeyman. Right. Why do we deal with that? Well, for, as you say, it's a disingenuous statement. And the reason is because if you are promoting something that is antithetical to the gospel, then there can be no unity around the gospel because you've got people following, as it were, different gospels. Um, you know, and Second Corinthians ten five. I mean, this is why we fight against CRT, right? It says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's a command in scripture. It's our duty as pastors and shepherds of the flock to come against and destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that comes against the knowledge of God. And CRT certainly comes against the knowledge of God. The social justice movement, um, y- you can see that it has crept in hugely into uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. And not just that. I mean, we've been seeing all year, um, you know, various churches of various denominations who are getting called up into this thing, right? Um, reform guys and otherwise, yeah. you know, just non-denom. And, and so, and and that's part of the focus on abuse in the church uh, to kind of a, this hyper extreme. Um, that's that's largely comes from the Me Too thing that's uh, grabbed a hold of social justice. It kind of comes all together as a package, right? Um, and like you've yeah. said, we, we're not downplaying abuse, right? If 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 we ever came across that, you know, in our church, I mean, we I'm, my personal. I mean, we, we do everything we can to protect the people we have. That's my yeah. job as a shepherd. Right. Um, I am quick to go to the law uh, when those things happen. In fact, you, yeah. you know, most states have laws around that and you have to. I don't know any pastor personally that would find legitimate abuse like that in their church and then say, well, you know, we, we don't really we don't want to get the law involved. No, I, I mean, that's part of our duty. Um Church discipline is part of that, and, and most of the guys I know will, you know, exercise all of those things. Um, and so, we want to protect the body of Christ, but, but, um, yeah, the social justice stuff and the Me Too thing, you kind of have now where, and we saw this with Mike Stone, where if there is an abuse victim, now all of a the sudden, um, they're a sinless person. And what do I mean by that is uh, because they've been a, a abused now they can go and sin against other people and if you say anything then you're attacking the sexually abused right you're attacking the abused you're silencing you know i made some comments over that on twitter and i can't tell you i mean i've gotten hundreds of comments and a lot of them are you know look at this pastor silencing the abused because i called her to repentance and to come back to christ um and you, you can't argue that she's a christian she herself said she's left christianity Right. Um, and so anyway, it it creates that kind of environment and atmosphere. But but, you know, Second Corinthians, that's why we deal with these things. We're told to in Scripture. And I think a lot of guys don't understand that we aren't fighting people. Right. We're not fighting Ed Linton. We're not fighting J.D. Greer, as it were. We're we're fighting arguments and opinions that are coming into the body of Christ that come against the truth of Christ. Um, and we have to continue doing that. Yeah, yeah, and you brought up um, a really good point about the assumption that we tend to make for those who are victims of abuse, and and there was a great article written by um, I think Ron um, Hensel, uh, which I would recommend for everyone. Uh, he posted it on Twitter um, a few days back, and it's an excellent article. But basically, the the gist of the article is this: um, you, you can actually be an abu- a victim of abuse, um, and still have some accountability um, in terms of bad decisions that you've made along the way. That doesn't mean that the abuse is your fault, um, but it does mean that there were decisions that you made that you probably shouldn't have made along the way. And so we, we have to recognize that. And one of the issues, as you mentioned, we tend to, you know, in the culture, especially, you know, believe the woman. That's, that's you know, usually the storyline whenever a woman brings a, a false accusation, um, believe the woman. Well, that's not the way this works, because what you're implying is that um, the woman is going to tell the entire truth and the man is is to be um, assumed um, to be a liar and a cheat or, or whatever. 
And uh, and just as an example, I mean, and we see this even in Hollywood. Uh, we, I think there was um, a, um, an actress by the name of Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, and and she's been in the news because, you know, if you follow that story, it's it's a wretched story. But um, but she basically lied about um, abuse. Yeah. There was proof that the abuse actually went the other way. So mm-hmm. all this to say this is that uh, one of the reasons why we stand against CRT is the same reason why we would stand against that kind of approach. There's yeah. no gender. There's no group of people that have the market market cornered on holiness. You know, basically we are all depraved, men, women from all ethnic backgrounds. And so we have to treat everyone as hey, that th- we are all sinners and uh, and we make our decisions in terms of justice based upon actual evidence uh, that that comes up. Um, but uh, you know, all that to, to say that uh, we we do take this seriously, um, but we don't simply just jump to a conclusion based upon an accusation that is made because we recognize that men and women alike um, are just as capable of concocting a story or bringing yeah. false accusations for their own purposes. Yeah, that's a good point, brother. I mean, our our worldly environment jumps straight to you know, just as you've said, if if a woman you know has an accusation, then the guy's instantly guilty. Um, I, I'm thankful that we don't just execute judgment instantly because you know there'd be a lot of guys dead um and and i'm sure it goes the other way too you know i i have been exposed personally to guys who have made up lies um about various issues like that and so again i mean this is partly why you know scripture teaches us that you know there's supposed to be you know two or more witnesses accusations against elders we see accountability we see investigative type things um, we never want to assume someone's guilt and or motives. You know, we, right. we've got to do the work uh, to get to the truth best we can. And if you don't go through those processes, then you, you're you're stepping outside of the wisdom of Scripture, and you could be guilty of sin yourself, slander and or you know other things when you start accusing people who are otherwise innocent. Right. So we've got to be careful there. Yeah, uh, you, you know, brother, another big thing uh, that that was there in the SBC was over abortion. Uh, And, you know, there were some comments Mm -hmm. about that made as well. And it's interesting because you've got, um, yeah, that's a, it's a big touchy, passionate subject. You have a lot of folks in the SBC and just in the church in general who uh, take the position that abortion, rightly so, that abortion is murder. uh, And it is. Um, I I think we need to start calling it that. We've gotten so used to thinking of it as a medical um, treatment that w- w- we feel people feel like we're harsh when we say it's murder. You're 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 pr- you're taking an innocent life. That's murder. Right. Um, right. So they attempted to pass a resolution and they ended up amending it, which sort of gutted the, the resolution. I think in my mind. Um, and it, yeah, even you know, since yesterday, I posted something that said um, there there are no exceptions to be made for abortion. Not one. It's murder. Um, and, and we have to start there. And man, it's it's blown up um, because there are people who want to make exceptions for that rule. And they're always ingrained in personal stories and emotionalism. Uh, we just we can't we can't take the truth of God and then compare it to an emotional personal story, an individual situation and change the truth of God because the right. situation was moving or difficult. Right. Right. There are difficult, tragic situations that the outcome has to be totally left up to God. And it may not be what we want for the sake of honoring Christ and his word. That happens. Right. We can't always avoid pain and suffering and death, Um, even even if we do what's right. Sometimes that's just part of it. Yeah, you know, and you said it right. Um, Abortion is murder. And we have to remind ourselves that we are talking about innocent human life. Now, innocent, not in the sense of being free of sin, we're all born into sin, but innocent in the sense of um, nothing was done to justify that, that murder. And so, if we always remind ourselves, go back to the fact that, okay, this is an innocent human life. So, whatever argument that you're going to make, you have to make it to say that the justification you're coming up with justifies killing innocent human 
life. You know, and just to give an example, frequently what I hear people will say is, well, what if you discover that the child is going to have Down syndrome or some sort of handicap or something like that? Then uh, you don't want to really bring a child into a, a world with that kind of condition and then all the suffering that they're going to go through and all that. Okay, well, could you justify doing that to people who um, are say, fully grown, um, but uh, suffering from Down syndrome. Could you justify saying we should murder them because they're not being treated well by society? Uh, well, I don't think anyone would say that. You know, so if you can't justify that with people who are actually um, alive outside of the womb, then how are you going to justify that with those who are inside the womb? The only difference is their, their location, but we're still talking about human life. And so I, I can't think of very many examples, if at all, um, where we would say it's okay just to take innocent human life. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, even with guys who you know claim to be abolitionists, and and which is what I am, I I'm okay with incrementalism uh, in that. Uh, as we and what I mean by that incrementalism is we you know, get laws passed that incrementally save a little more lives that restrict abortion. I'm okay with that as long as the goal is always the total abolition of abortion. Yeah. Um, we, we just know we live in a world and society where uh, that kind of thing doesn't just happen instantly. So in, in, in regards to that, but the goal is always total abolition, right? Uh, of abortion because it's murder. It's never okay to just murder a little less. Right. Yeah. Um, right. But our system just, it, it, it's hard to to get there without making those small steps along the way, so I'm all, I'm always okay for that. Um, but we yeah, we've kind of developed this attitude, and I say we a, a lot of guys who they would say abortion is wrong, but and unless the, the mother's life is in danger, and this is a passionate, touchy, emotional subject. It it came up in the SBC. There are tempers flaring. There's you know I mean the room was thick with emotion, um, and so maybe let's just speak to that a little bit. There are I mean. First, you can find a plethora of doctors who would say in today's world that there is never a time where abortion is necessary. Now, there are other medical procedures that happen, right? And in many of those cases, the, the child has already passed away and they're doing nothing more than surgically removing the child. That is not abortion. And that right. is not what we're speaking to, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so those things are acceptable. They're fine. They're reasonable. We understand that um, it's saving the mother's life the, it, and not taking the child's life, right? There's a difference there. And we need to make that distinction because that comes up right in conversations. Um, but to deal with the hard thing, right? Let, let's just, and I can't think of a specific situation, but let's just say there is a situation uh, in, in which you can either do an actual abortion um, to save the mother's life, or you can trust God with it. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. And, and I'll just speak from uh, my wife and I's conversation. Maybe that'd be the best way to do that, right? And we've decided that uh, should, should we ever be confronted with having to abort a child um, to save my wife's life or not, we will not murder the innocent. We cannot sin yeah. to save her mm -hmm. life. Man, that would be such a difficult position to be in. And I get that. And I understand that. But yeah. you can't take an innocent life in right, hopes right. of saving your own, right? Uh, you can't sin um, and, and then and be okay right before God. And so, what do we do in those cases? Well, this is where we trust in the sovereignty of God. I mean, truly, right? This is where we trust that we serve a God who is great, who is good, and who ultimately, for those who believe, work out everything, right, for our good and for his glory. And should that mean that in being faithful and true to scripture and loving life, um, that she passed away in that from complications? As difficult as that would be, yeah. we trust yeah. that somehow that was in God's divine sovereign plan. Um, and, and that's a difficult thing. So we can't let emotional situations change the truth of scripture. And so people often and always, you know, will reach for those emotional tear jerking situations. Now, as I understand it, you know, reading plenty of doctors, that's almost non-existent in the Western world today. But even if it did, mm -hmm. right, we still have to first ask the question, you know, set your emotions aside. You know, we aren't driven by our emotions. They're good. Emotions were given by God, but we aren't driven by emotions. We certainly should never be ruled by our emotions. And we have to say, all right, what does God's word say? What, what is life? 
Um, and, and we have to look at that first. And then we approach the situation with that resolution first. We're resolved to honor life. And so we cannot do this. What are our other options? And sometimes the options may be, um, you know, we are at our, um, our limited capacity as humans, and now we just have to trust God. It's difficult, but then we have to make that choice. Yeah, and, and again, it, it, I think it comes back to recognizing that you have innocent human life involved um, when you uh, work through those situations. And, and admittedly, that is a difficult situation. I mean, if you're in a situation where it looks like, you know, the, the mother is going to die if, if you move forward with this, and, and I, I will admit, I will confess that I've, um, I have made concessions um, in that kind of um, situation before, just hypothetically speaking. Um, but as I'm listening to you talk, and, and I've been thinking about this um, the last couple of days, I think you're right. You know, in, in that situation, um, you've got to trust God's sovereignty. And, and how often do we hear in, um, in the medical field um, that it was an absolute certainty that someone would die, and they didn't. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, someone survived, or someone made a recovery that they were told they would never make. Um, that indeed is in the hands of God. And, and when you're dealing with an innocent, uh, innocent life, and I, and I think about parents and children, parents uh, will often, and I can't think of a parent that wouldn't be willing to do this, but parents be willing to give up their own lives to save their child in just regular circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if, if you know a shooter is enter, entering the building and, and your child is somewhere um, that uh, might be in the path of, uh, of that shooter, um, I don't know of any parent that wouldn't jump in the way in order to save their child's life. And so, when you recognize, once again, we're dealing with innocent mm-hmm. human life, we're not dealing with a hypothetical life, uh, we're not dealing with a clump of cells, we're, we're dealing with an yeah. actual uh, person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that, um, that that logic, as you spelled it out, uh, makes really makes a whole lot of sense. But the the other thing on top of that, and you, you mentioned it as well, it's it's the it's the um, it's the practicality of even having that discussion that hypothetically rarely, if ever, even happens. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. kind of like when. Um, in the past, we've talked about abortion, and usually the um, case that's brought up is, well, what if the woman is raped, right? Mm-hmm, Which, by right. the way, um, yeah. if she is raped, you're still dealing with innocent human life in that in that mother's womb. So, you don't just take that life just because yeah. it came about by an unwanted circumstance. But um, but that's usually the circumstances brought up. Well, what if the woman's raped and uh, she had no choice? Well, um, Speaking practic- practically, um, that is very, very, extremely rarely the case, right? The vast majority yeah. um, of abortions were from consensual um, encounters um, in which they didn't want to deal with the consequence of having a child. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to use your illustration, brother, maybe just to put a, a, a spin on that. And, and again, you know, we want to be gentle in this, but also just emphatic that, you know, life is valuable. Um, and we can't murder, take the innocent life. Um, it, while you said that a, a parent would be more than willing to step in front of a bullet for their child, uh, a lot of these uh, abortion situations that people try to go to, it in fact, does exactly the opposite. They're basically yeah. saying, since, since the parent may die too, right? Let's just put the child in front of the bullet to guard right. ourselves. I, I mean, that's right. A, right. And if you're listening to that, that sounds atrocious. Can you imagine a, a parent picking up their child and putting them in in way in the line side right. of of the bullet so that they could live because they thought they didn't yeah. know, but they thought that they would all die anyway. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, you know, yeah. it's like being in a small plane in a storm and having to get rid of some weight. And, you know, it's just you and your children and you're all going to die. Now, we I mean, we have storms in Alaska. And so this happens. Um, it, we're all going to die. You got to get rid of some weight. Right. It's like being okay with looking at one of your two children and saying, okay, which one of you am I going to throw out the plane? It's absurd because nobody would do that. But right right, when it comes to life in the womb, um, people who are otherwise against abortion are arguing that that's exactly what we should do in theoretical cases. I mean, that's the other problem, right? Um, We we don't build ethics around theoretical uh, issues that may never even come up. Uh, We have to start with God's word. And and that's why we, you know, we've got to, we've got to make those decisions now before we ever um, experience the the emotional real things. And and we've already decided to stand on truth. So um, do we value the lives of mothers? Absolutely. We don't want to see anyone uh, die, pass away, uh, but that's a part of life. But what we can't do um, is justify 
killing an innocent life to save your own. Yeah. That just can't yeah. be justified. Difficult, emotional, we understand that. But in those moments, right, grasp the truth of the sovereignty of God and just say, you know, uh, we're going to protect life. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. And let God do what God's going to do. Deal with the difficulty in it, but deal and but deal with it knowing that you're trusting in a good and holy God. And while the outcome may be painful, um, we we did the right thing and the God honoring thing, and, and that's that's just where we have to come to, you know. Yeah, and I think that's perfectly consistent with biblical principles in, in all aspects of life. Um, it, when persecution comes, that's the mindset we ought to have. When it comes to doing the right thing, standing up for truth, that's the mindset we have to have. Um, what, what did the scriptures say? Be willing to suffer for what is right. Um, it is better to suffer for what is right than to suffer for what is wrong. And uh, and even Paul in Philippians one twenty nine says, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also to suffer uh, for his sake. Um, so I, I think the principle that you're drawing upon is completely consistent with Scripture, and we want to walk in a manner that is consistent with those principles. So, um, so uh, once again, we're dealing with innocent human life. Um, don't put that innocent human life in front of you in order to spare your life, but you know, rather trust God. And uh, and if um, if God would have you lose your life for the sake of trusting Him, well, you know, that's what a lot of um, martyrs have done in the past. That's what a lot of faithful believers have done in the past. And once again. That's easier to do when you recognize that this is not our home. Our citizenship is not yeah. on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we look forward to um, a better life. We look forward to uh, resurrected bodies and an eternal state in which we're going to be in the presence of God and our fellow saints uh, for all of eternity. Um, so that's that's what it means not to get uh, too tied up into the things of this world. And, you know, in this world, our, our life is nothing more than a vapor anyway. I often say that to our church and how how quickly do you see a vapor come and go? Well, it, it goes like the snap of a finger. And so we, we need to have that kind of mindset and, and recognize that, you know what, um, our job here in this life is to glorify mm-hmm. God, even if it means um, sacrificing um, our life here and now, because well, Jesus, when he gave the cost of discipleship, said, anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself, bear his cross daily and follow me. Uh, for what is a profit a man, right? If he gains the whole world, but forfeits yeah. his soul. Yeah. And so we we want to live this life for Christ. We want to have that attitude of the Apostle Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. Yeah, absolutely, brother. And so, so these are just some of the, the the issues, you know, that the SBC is dealing with and really just churches all around, right? I mean, we see this, all, all of these things increasing. And I think that as the world puts more pressure on the church at large, which there is, right? I mean, the, the world hates abolitionists. I mean, our society is, yeah. um, I mean, the social justice movement and, and feminism that has attached itself you know, to these things, um, the, the whole pushing of my body, my choice. Actually, I'm okay with that. Um, it, your body, your choice, you can do whatever you want to. You just can't touch the child's body. Um, right. So, you know, you can say that. That's and, fine. And, yep. Um, and and but, exer- uh, exercise exercise choice when you when you have that sexual encounter, right? I mean, that's you know your your choice actually started by um, by making a choice for immorality. Yeah, absolutely. And so the the world is coming down heavy, uh, you, you know, against the church on you know those issues of what they call women's rights, um, on the issues of uh, the homosexuality and LGBTQ positions, and so we're we're seeing all of these things kind of creeping into the church. And you know, I mean, that was one of the big uh, statements that got passed around that someone said at the SBC was the the world is watching us, right? And we, we want to be yeah. unified. The world is watching. Watching this. Yeah, right, um, right. Well, it, you know, if it, worry about God watching you, right? right. Uh, you, you aren't going to answer to the world w- when you die. When the Lord Jesus comes back, it, he's not going to ask for the world leader's opinions. Um, it's going to be uh, judged based on his word, uh, on his truth. And so we, we do what we do for the sake of um, truth and God's glory, not for what the world's going to think. Now, uh, we can go to plenty of passages to talk about if we, if, when we care about what the world thinks, it should be centered around we care that the world sees us as being a wholly separate people. Exactly. We want the world to see exactly. us as having love for one another. And by the way, genuine love that's united around sound doctrine. Um, you know, the, the kind of love I think often I hear in the SBC is let's just, 
set doctrine aside and you know, we just want to set doctrine aside and say we love Jesus, uh, hold each other's hands and center, stand around a bonfire and sing Kumbaya. Uh, that, that's not love. Love has to be centered around sound doctrine, right? And we can vary on, um, on issues, uh, e- even significant issues, and, and, and we can debate those things um, even vehemently so. Uh, but th- but those primary central issues centered around the person and work of Christ, uh, if those w- those are the things we have to be unified uh, around. And if if those things aren't um, like minded, then there just can't be any unification. Uh, you can't unify over falsehoods. Right. Yeah. God says um, friendship with the world is enmity um, with God. And, and so we have to remember that. And, and I, I was shocked to see that statement that the world is watching us. And in one sense, I do tell people that I disciple that, yes, the world is watching you, but they're watching you to see if your faith is legitimate, that they're watching to see if your faith um, can withstand trials and persecutions. Um, they're watching to see um, whether um, you, you will continue to hold on to Christ even when you are being afflicted, right? So they're, they're watching to see if your faith is legitimate or are you going to compromise and just become like the rest of the world? Because if you're going to be like the rest of the world, then what do you have to offer the world that's any different from what they're already enjoying? Yeah. And, and they're looking for any excuse possible to discredit uh, what we believe, discredit what, what we follow. And so the, this idea that the world is watching you and, and that it's meant as some sort of um, kind of peer pressure to let's make sure we're doing the right thing so that the world will be impressed. Well, we're not seeking to impress the world. And then when we think about what the world is doing, I mean, the you know, especially when we talk about CRT and CRT has been coming up a lot more um, in terms of schools and politics, um, you, you yeah. know, the news stations are talking about, newspapers are bringing it up. And, and when we look at how it's being used um, in the secular world, those who push CRT um, are the same people who are pushing for a godless society. You know, so why mm-hmm. would you within yeah. the church want to accept something and embrace something and, and say that the world is watching you when the world is using those same ideologies to push for a godless society? And and you can go all the way back to the origin of this uh, from Karl Marx himself, who said that he had two goals in life, and that's to dethrone God and to uh, to destroy religion, right? Yeah, so th- yeah. that was that was his goal, and 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 he foresaw a society in which um, there was no God, there was no religion. And in fact, he often portrayed religion as being the the opiates of the people, basically the drug of the people to to make them forget their their difficulties and and worries and 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 all that. Um, so we don't care. We, you know, for us, we we just cannot care what the world thinks. We have to care what would be pleasing to God. Um, what would God think? Because we're going to stand before judgment, not at the hands of the world, but in the hands of God. He's going to judge what we have done. Um, yeah. We're going to stand before Christ, and we're going to um, we're, we're going to receive rewards commensurate with what we have accomplished here in this world. So, if our job is to be pleasing to God, well, guess what? Jesus promises. Jesus promises that the world will persecute you. Yeah. He told him from John chapters fourteen through sixteen. I taught on this recently, and those chapters really lay the foundation mm-hmm. for the great commission that he would give to them later. But the idea was this: when you read through those chapters, you know what what Jesus says. There's going to come a time where they're going to think they're doing a service to God by killing you, okay? There's going to come a time where you're going to have to stand trial and they're going to persecute you and they're going to kill you and they're going to think that they're glorifying God by doing it, but you remain firm. Yeah. You continue yeah. to obey. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's Vody Bauckham that's, you know, coined the 11th commandment, um, you know, thou shall be nice. And that rules the Southern Baptist Convention in a lot of ways, right? We, and we want to be, now, be, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, Right. But we're not talking about kindness. We're talking about nice, this idea of not saying or doing anything, including uh, truth, if it offends the world. And, but, uh, you know, you just mentioned John. Let me just read to, to you John 15, 18 for the guys listening. This is what God actually says, because it's quite contrary to that idea of what came up in the SBC. Right. The SBC says the world's watching. Let's, you know, all look unified and all that sort of thing. Well, this is what the word of God says. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will 
keep yours also. And uh, I mean, that that's so contradictory to it is the atmosphere that the leaders in the SBC were trying to present, right? We can't win the affection of the world. Um, it doesn't mean we should try to be hated. That's not what this is talking about. But if you stand for truth, we're not greater than Christ and we're promised that the world will hate that. So stop trying to win the affection of the world. Um, it will never happen unless you are the world's own. Yeah, and that's uh, that discussion that Jesus Christ had with his disciples, uh, really kind of his speech to them before he would mm-hmm. be arrested. Um, at the very end of chapter 16, I'm looking at it right now, chapter 16, verse 33, this is the last thing he says before he lifts up his high priestly prayer. In verse 33, he says, these things I've spoken to you so that mm-hmm. in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So we see Mm -hmm. that distinction that our peace is not in the world, it's in Christ. From the world, we have tribulation. And when you think about how Jesus opened this, going back to John chapter 14 at the very beginning, what does he tell him? He says, I go away to prepare a place for you. Mm -hmm. You know what that means? That means our hope is where he is going. Um, yeah. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in the future. So all this and this, these chapters are marvelous when you tie it together and see it through the lens that it was intended to be seen through, where Jesus is essentially prepping his disciples for the hard work of ministry that's going to come after he has been crucified, resurrected, and ascended up into heaven. Well, brother, you just touched on something that I think has become a golden calf of much of Western Christianity. The fact that Christianity is not and easy, um, God fixes everything in your life religion, right? right? We are promised difficulties and tribulations. We're promised that the world will hate us if we stand for truth. Um, And, you know, this is, you know, sloppy evangelism uh, that we've had over the past decades. And so you get a lot of, yeah, and and we see it all throughout the SBC, a lot of guys who just want to love Jesus and they don't have any conflict. Well, that just isn't the Christian faith. There's going to be conflict to the, until the day you die. Uh, we're going to have to contend for the faith. You know, we talked about that yesterday. The book of Jude, the, the whole thesis is found in, you know, verse three or verse four, where he says, you know, I appeal to you that you contend for the faith. And that's the faith that the apostles hand down, the word of God. Um, and so that's what we have to do. There will never be a time where we can just kind of kick our feet back uh, and rest and, and sit easy. Um, we, yeah. we've, we've got to fight and, and we fight for truth, right? And like we read earlier, uh, when these ideas and things creep into the Amen. church that are attacking the word of God, we have to be men and stand up and fight. I mean, pastors need to find their backbone. If you need one, I'll ship it to you. Um, and stand up and fight for the truth in the pulpit. <laughs> Guard your sheep, right? Um, I, I think... <laughs> Sometimes it, we, we need pastors that carry a sword. And when the wolves come into the flock, you know, they run towards the wolf and fight it. Uh, we, we've got guys that pull out a little musical flute and want to play nice with the wolves. Um, we, we just can't do that. And you can do that in gentleness. You can do that in kindness. You can do that with exercising all the gifts of the spirit um, and still be bold and fight. You know, one of the other comments that came up in the SBC, and I, actually, I think you mentioned it earlier, um, was they were talking about uh, how critical race theory is real and Marxism is real. Uh, didn't right. you mention that earlier, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, but being a jerk is real, too. Um, it, you know, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who made a comment similar to, uh, you know, and if you if you know the comment, you can pull it up. But um, similar to it, that's basically what people say when they don't like the truth. Um, I. Yeah. If you stand for truth, be prepared to be called mean and a jerk, um, even in kindness. But just remember that Christ, you know, Jesus, the most perfectly loving, kind um, human being that ever lived is fully God, fully human, um, never gave up any of his attributes, any of his qualities, any of the fruits of the spirit. And yet they still called for his crucifixion, 
Right. Amen. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And and you know the as we uh, as you said and um, and I'll emphasize again, the Christian life is not easy. The easy part is being saved because we bring nothing to the table for that. Um, so that that's the part that's easy. That's the part that we do nothing. Jesus Christ did all the work in order to save us. Uh, but when we think about Ephesians two ten, when Paul writes that you are created in the you're created in Christ Jesus for good works, mm. you know that God prepared beforehand so that you would walk walk in them. The good works that we have been created for are not easy. That's going to be hard, um, but we will be strengthened to do that if we trust in him. If we walk obediently, if we trust in him, if we saturate ourselves in the scriptures, if we've got a heaven-bound uh, mindset that our hope is in heaven with God and not here in this world, if we count our temporal lives here as really being nothing but belonging to Christ for the sake of his glory and honor, um, then those things um, become easier. And it's like what I heard uh, recently, and I think I may have mentioned this on a prior podcast, I've said this many times to our church, I heard recently that um, the, the believers in China, when they share the gospel with other believers, um, they often tell them, after they share the gospel, they say, but you will suffer. Mm. You will suffer for following Christ. They tell them up front. And when I heard wow. that, I, I, the, the thought that came to mind is that, you know what, that's a more biblical gospel than what we've been sharing here mm. in America. Mm. Um, because it's like what Jesus said, anyone who wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, bear his cross daily mm. and follow me. Um, what is he doing? He is giving the cost of discipleship. Um, yes, it is free to believe. It is free to receive that salvation. But once Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and, and you are called to follow him, that part is not going to be easy. Yeah, I don't think the SBC would approve of that evangelistic tactic. <laughs> Come, come to Christ and prepare to suffer. But that's exactly that's right. what we're taught, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Praise God for that. Well, brother, let's wrap up here. Guys, we appreciate you listening to us. We hope that uh, you benefit from this podcast, that you're edified. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.